1: than I ever did. You had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man. So keep up the good work. But it's good to be with you and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports Arts Chicago. My name's John Zaglur. Great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, we're going to break down the Bears' win over Seattle Talk about why Matt is going to stick around in just a moment, plus a brand-new interview today with Christina Carl, the sports editor at the San Francisco Chronicle and a BBWA member. We talk with her at length about her baseball Hall of Fame vote, who she plans on voting for this year, and so much more. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zaglul. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. Well, didn't expect this. <laughs> I was hoping, like probably many of you, a Mad Aggie would have been fired after the game yesterday. and Rappaport came out, big report in the morning. out if the Bears' losses piled up, he'd be fired. I don't often, or ever, say it's good to root for a loss, but yesterday, you better believe, I was all over it. I wanted a loss. I wanted this to end. For those of you who don't know me, maybe you're new to the channel. I've wanted Matt Nagy gone since the end of last year. He's still here. So I watched the game. <laughs> Certainly didn't expect that outcome. Nick Bull started. Actually played well, which I'm pretty surprised about. <sighs> Russell Wilson didn't do bad either. And the Seahawks' run game was just so hard to contend, yet, yet, the Bears won. I don't know how to feel. So a lot of people celebrating, saying, hey, the Bears won. Those are your regular fans who don't really know about what's going on at the top. They're just happy to see their team win. I'm fine with them. I'm just so shocked that after all that happened this year, all the problems the Bears have faced, to somehow pull this out on the road without Justin Fields, without Andy Dalton. It's their third stringer who does the job. Makes you wonder why the Bears waste 10 million on Andy Dalton. I have a perfectly competent backup in Nick Foles to stick around. There was no need to sign Andy Dalton. Who sponsors that? Well, Ryan Pace. Wasting sting more money on veteran quarterbacks who don't do their jobs. That's why you should go too. There have been some people who've said, Keith Pace, great scout, good guy. This is why he needs to go, to Nick Foles, snowy weather, with a team that meant nothing, what a game. Beat Seattle, who, yes, had something to play for. They're now officially eliminated from postseason contention. Had they won, they would have stayed alive. They had something to play for. The Bears won with Nick Bowles. Think about that for a second. Nick Bulls. Remember before the year, Bulls said, hey, I want to pick where I go if I'm traded. Had a big stink about it. I came on here and I said, what do the Bears owe Nick Bowles? Really? I mean, who is he to request where he goes? He's nothing. He's just kind of been sticking around all year. Hasn't done anything. In some games hasn't even suited up. And yet now he wins, and it's just very, very confusing, to say the least. And the Bears really didn't do much yesterday. Even Montgomery had a horrible game. Run game was horrible. It's all just short passes, spreading the ball. Montgomery, Mooney Komet, Graham, Goodwin. All of them with 20 or more receiving yards. So full spread the ball around. and somehow some way, the Bears contained a great run game from Seattle. And I will give Matt Nagy credit for one thing. This is the only thing you'll hear me give him credit for. They went for it for two. That's how they won the game. You know, the Bears could have missed it. And I still believe Nagy would have stayed. I really do. I think that's why they went for it more than anything. The Bears played a good game. They fought. Didn't give up on Nagy. Didn't give up on the coach, GM, this team, the franchise. I believe no matter what the end result was, as long as it was close, Aggie would stack. We thought, you know what? Might as well go for it. He did. They won. I guess Demir Bird proved me wrong. couple of horrible drops last week with Justin Fields, but I guess he can make a one-handed spectacular circus catch to win the game. Great play. Happy to see it. Nevertheless, what are we really celebrating here? That's my question today. What are we celebrating here with, with this victory? Really? This team was 4-10. The Bears were already way out of it. They had nothing. Matt Nagy was supposed to be fired. And They win this miraculous game. And I get it, Bears wins are few and far between. You might as well enjoy them. I just don't know what to celebrate. I mean, Matt Nagy's now going to stick around. You know, he was asked a couple of times today at his press conference what's going to happen, and Wiederer, friend of the program, said Matt Nagy said he is operating under the assumption that he will be allowed to coach the final two games of the season. So Matt Nagy's staying, or at least the final two games. Is there a reason? No. There's no reason for him to stay. And that's kind of what we're celebrating here by the Bears winning. According to Ian Raffleport, no final decision has been made on if the Bears will fire Matt Nagy. So now, all of a sudden, the same reporter came out yesterday and said, hey, he's going to be gone if the losses pile up. Now there's no final decision. Period. End of story. You know would be really scary if the Bears end up going 7-10 and, and they keep him. <laughs> Not impossible. They could beat the Giants easily, and they will this upcoming weekend, and then the Vikings. They could do it. That'd be scary. And that's my fear here. I highly doubt it. A lot of change needs to be made for this team. Seven and 10 shouldn't be celebrated, shouldn't be cutting it for this franchise, but I could see it. I really could see it. Quote tweet here from Brian Perez, too. Remember something Nick Bowles is Matt Nagy's quarterback who knows Matt Nagy's offense. So what you're seeing against Seattle is the clearest picture of Matt Nagy's Bears. Thank you. Nick Foles is the quarterback that works in in Matt Nagy's system. He is. Pocket passer, can't move. Veteran, good decision maker for the most part. Can't run, never fumbles, never turns it over. Works. That doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. But it does mean it doesn't cater to Justin Fields. That's the problem. Frankly, I was shocked at how well Foles did. Really, I was. I mean, for this got to come out, snowy conditions, 250 yards, one touchdown, no picks, no turnovers. I was pleasantly surprised. I was happy. Really nothing more you can ask for if you're a quarterback. There's not one thing to complain about for Fultz. He did great, really. But that's the problem. Last time I checked, the reason not Nagy was here was to develop Mitch Trubisky, now Justin Fields. He's supposed to be here to develop. He's a quarterback guru, great offensive mind, offensive coordinator, good play caller, good schemer. Well, we haven't seen that, have we? Makes you wonder even more this stuff works for Nick Foles and nobody else. What about Andy Dalton? What about Chase Daniel, Mitch Trubisky, Justin Fields? That should be scary, actually. But Nick Foles did better in this offense than Justin Fields has all year. That was the greatest game of a Bears quarterback all season, really. Tell me I'm wrong. No turnovers, no mistakes, no snafus. It was all smooth sailing, for the most part. Not many deep balls. 5, 10, 15 yard passes. No running, no mobility. They won. It indicts Matt Nagy in the end. And really think about it if your best quarterback is Nick Bowles, if he's the best at working in Matt Nagy's system, there's a problem. There is a problem there. I'm not comfortable with that. (sighs) Not happy. He was supposed to come here to develop Justin Fields. And so far, Justin Fields with seven touchdowns, ten picks, leads the league in fumbles. That Nagy only works with established veterans who know better. It's not even a knock. Like, that's just the truth. So what? Great. Go to somewhere where they have an established veteran. Work with them. But it's clear you can't develop quarterbacks. You can maintain. You could find a good game manager and win some games, bring along a couple of wins, saw it yesterday. But you can't develop. I mean, look at the end of the day, a coach isn't a babysitter. Coach is a developer. You want to get the best out of each and every one of your players, right? Not there to babysit. Sit there and just watch them play. Never coach anybody up. Watch the game unfold in front of you. That's kind of Mad Nagy. Think about it. Couldn't develop Mitch And Now really can't develop Justin Fields. And the only quarterback who succeeded under Mad Nagy, really, was Nick Bulls yesterday. Nobody all year has put up the performance Bulls did. With no turnovers, clean game, 250 yards, one touchdown. That should be a severe warning sign. And your best quarterback is Nick Foles, you got a problem. I'm sure, Philly fans could say, well, they won us the Super Bowl. What are you talking about? Nick Foles is not a quality quarterback. I'm sorry. He's average. He's gonna back up his whole career. And well, that's really it. I mean, he backed up Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. Didn't start. Whenever he did start, like with the St. Louis Rams at the time, he sucked. Wasn't good. Didn't work. So when Nick Foles. Is running your offense. That's a problem. You were brought in to develop somebody to do something for someone. Young guy. How about the young players learn? Trubisky, Fields, all these guys. You didn't do it. Don't be rewarded for it, then. Almost seems like the Bears won on purpose. <laughs> Just to make sure Matt Nagy sticks around. And really, where was even this fight a couple of weeks ago? And all of a sudden it matters and you're gonna play hard and gotta beat the Seahawks on the road in snow? I mean, I'm surprised. We heard reports of Nagy losing the locker room. Guys not wanting to play there anymore. And what happened? It just perplexes me. <laughs> Here's my main takeaway though. I know there are very few still depend Mount Nagy. Maybe some of them are out there saying, hey, he should stay after yesterday. No, he shouldn't. Mount Nagy needs to go. And really, yesterday, he was still indicted. He was. I mean, you could say it was a great game, good offensive showing. But Mount Nagy was indicted, no matter what. He's indicted no matter what happens over these next couple of games. Because if you're working with Nick Foles, if your offense is clicking with Nick Foles, why the hell is it not working with your top draft pick? Whom you claim is supposed to be great, and I can develop him. I know it. I know what to do. Why is it not working with him? But it's working with Nick Foles, a career-long backup. That is scary. It's not just me, right? I mean, that's pretty scary. What's even worse... It almost looked like the system was catered to Paul. It was. No movement, no running, short passes, accuracy, no turnovers. It's Pretty conservative, wouldn't you say? Let me ask you this. Does that sound like Justin Fields can? No. So it's pretty clear to me what needs to happen. Despite the win, despite everybody being happy, well, they won on the road. The facts are the facts. You were brought in to develop Mitch Travinsky. didn't work. You were brought in and you were retained to develop Justin Fields. didn't work. If Nick Bowles is having a better game than Justin Fields, in those conditions, not playing all year, problem. Big problem. I don't know what the results of the last couple of games are going to be. I don't know. Maybe the Bears will win out. Maybe they'll go 7-10. Fire Nagy. Let's not get hasty here. Still, Fire Nagy. We're not going to sit here and flip-flop. And by the way, for those of you who think Ryan Pace should stay, the Bears paid $10 million to Andy Dalton. Nick Foles won a game on the road yesterday against Seattle. That's another waste of money from Ryan Pace for quarterbacks. If I were him, would have kept Nick Foles. Back him up. This Kyle Willis could have been the third string. Elevate him from the practice squad. You're fine. Could have saved a lot of money. Didn't work. Ryan Pace is a great scout. If you need a fifth-round player, go to Ryan Pace. Seriously. But if you're looking for a quarterback, whether it be a veteran or a rookie, do not go to him. At the end of the day, what's the most important position in football? Quarterback. That's your franchise. So if you can't get the quarterback right, you can't be a general manager. You could be a scout. You could go fine. Running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, defensive players. But if you can't find a quarterback, you are not fit to be a GM. Fine pace needs to go, too. And as for the rest of these Bears team in this season, sure it would be nice if they string along a couple of wins. But more than anything, Again, what was the point of this year before everything started? Development. We need to develop Justin Fields. Need to develop him. That's what everybody said. Nagy, paints everybody, this is about developing Fields. Has it happened? No. By that virtue, this is a failure. That's why no matter what happened yesterday, as great as it was, some guys played exceptionally well. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter anything, Nick Foles, maybe we'll get a payday somewhere else. But leave here. <laughs> and as for Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, Ted Phillips, nothing changes. Nothing changes. What Not about good? Right, you beat Seattle on the road? Oh, Russell Wilson, snowing, Nick Foles, I mean, it seems like an improbable story. No matter what, though, nothing changes here. That's the main lesson you should take away from this game. Nothing changes. Great win, good fight. Nothing changes. These guys need to go. The fact that we're sitting here rooting this on and so happy, so overjoyed by a win like this, I should tell you right away there's a problem. Bears fans want consistency, and more than that, they want Justin Fields to be great. We all do. He hasn't been yet. And the fact that Nick Foles worked, that all these plays work for Nick Foles, but they don't work for Justin Fields, and Matt Nagy's not willing to adjust himself to Fields, that tells me all I need to know about his future and about the future of this team. For to come here on Sports Talk Chicago, my interview with Christina Carr comes up next, so stay tuned. Chicago here at John's and we are back and ready for today's special guest. She's the sports editor at the San Francisco Chronicle and a BBWAA member. Please welcome Christina Carl to the program. Christina, great to have you on again. How are you? Pretty good. How about you, John? I'm doing great. Thanks for being here. Um, happy holidays. Uh, what do you make of your Hall of Fame ballot to start today?
0: <laughs> well, it's going to be an interesting one, of course, because several people are in their 10th and last year uh, with Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa and Curt Schilling all there at the top of the ballot for people who uh, are wondering about what to do before they slip away off to uh, era committee land and uh, whenever the era committees elect to pick up their cases but in the meantime it's last chance stakes for those four in particular and then of course jeff Canada's is in what his ninth year so uh he's also on short time if he's going to get a bounce like we've seen in some previous candidates who get that great number like year nine bounce that suggests they're going to make it in the 10th year uh i think uh larry walker and edgar martinez among recent inductees have are those who uh have definitely uh gotten that boost and so like we'll see if jeff kent is one of those guys who gets that in there next last year so it's it's definitely going to be an interesting year to watch as far as where voters wind up not just on peds not just on kurt Schilling's saying stuff publicly uh but just in general where this puts the hall of fame in the years to come
1: you mentioned jeff kent's case i'm a pretty big proponent of his as well uh best power hitting second baseman in baseball history where do you stand on his case and where have you voted for him in the past
0: I have not voted for Jeff Kent in the past. However, this is a tough year. I mean, like it's a crowded ballot. I know that if he is still on the ballot next year, year 10, I'm gonna be voting for him. Uh, This year, it's a little tough about whether or not I'm gonna vote for him. But uh, yeah, I definitely think he is ultimately a hall of famer um, that we we need to get into. I think, you know, like again, between the power and his contribution to so many important teams and significant teams in that period, um a lot of teams that contended thanks to jeff kent uh really only had one below average year in his entire career and even that was pretty average so like this guy did not have a tail it's not like a bad end of his career or a long ramp up or anything he was just excellent from the get-go and uh you know like again such an important part of so many competitive teams that uh because of the slugging, because of the ability to get on base, hit for average. I mean, he he really was, you know, and although his defense was not exceptional, like in any stretch and like, you know, was a weakness. He did not have a ton of range, but we've seen other defense challenged candidates, you know, like get in in recent years, uh, you know, who definitely have a stronger hitting side of their resume for the hall. And that's where, you know, like look at Derek Jeter, one of the greatest middle infielders of all time has nothing to do with whether or not you think he was a great defensive shortstop Uh, has everything to do with like, he was a key element of so many contending teams. And the fact that he did not, uh, you know, like necessarily like, wow, people with his defensive metrics, not really relevant. Derek Jeter, hall of famer, Jeff Kemp same thing does not wow people with his defensive metrics but ultimately belongs in the hall of fame
1: let me ask you this when you look at this ballot this year do you find anybody who's a slam dunk hall of fame somebody you really think should be there right now that probably isn't
0: but probably isn't yeah uh, that's a tough one see that's where i would say you know like a guy who, who i think is it what I think is a Hall of Famer who probably is. I mean, I think Gary Sheffield is a hall, a slam dunk Hall of Famer. He should be in the hall. You look at the nineties and the early oddies. And if you needed a slugger and you wanted to win it all, Gary Sheffield was the guy you went out and got, I think it was Bill James who put up, pointed out like, you know, in his time at the Red Sox, you know, the guy they were more afraid of on the opposing teams and all of his, you know, Year after year, the guy they were worried about when he was with the Yankees or wherever was Gary Sheffield. Because Gary Sheffield really was that good. And when you look at the hitting resume, it's it's not even close. He's a Hall of Fame right fielder. It's whether or not you believe the output of today's defensive metrics or, you know, like and whether or not you hold against him, you know, the fact that no, he was not a good shortstop. No, he was not a good third baseman. He was a good enough third baseman that um the marlins could certainly win a title with him but uh you know like ultimately um you know like alternating him between third base and right field and when they were playing him at third base and had darren dalton in right field (laughs) because they were just trying to cram another another bat it's like okay gary sheffield was legitimately a defensive replacement for for darren for dutch in right field no doubt about it because Dutch was terrible out and right. But again, they were looking to get as much offense as they could on the field. Jack McCann was a genius at it. And uh really like, you know, again, like, you know, I think the oddity or the tough thing with with Sheffield is that because he moved around so much, uh, that he doesn't have a natural constituency among the voters um it's not like you've got a huge BBWAA chapter down in miami that is like relishing the chance of putting gary sheffield in their hall of fame since he was again only a marlin for a short period of time but ultimately i just think of you know like it's really kind of silly that we haven't already said yeah gary sheffield is in the hall of fame but again you end up with a little bit of a concern about like his being named in the mitchell report and belco and all of that and um you know like in Sheffield, as he said at the time, was like, yeah, he didn't feel it like did him any good. Um, it certainly there isn't a huge part of his resume as a hitter. If you were going to try like Dan Zimborski to try to break down like, oh, how much benefit did he get uh, from potentially using PEDs? Well, Sheffield said he did, didn't get a benef- much of a benefit and didn't use them for long. Uh, and on top of that, um, You know, he doesn't have that huge spike in the way that, like, makes people suspicious in the way that whether you want to talk about Sammy Sosa or you want to talk about uh, Barry Bonds, you know, he doesn't have that. And so he's just Gary Sheffield through his career and is amazing. And it's kind of silly that he isn't already in or doesn't get more support.
1: Where do you stand on steroid use personally when it comes to players in the Hall of Fame?
0: Uh, I vote for steroid users. I think that they are uh, again. They shouldn't be discounted. They are an intrinsic part of the history of the game. Uh, we are not going to forget uh, who was named in the Mitchell report. We are not going to forget who was, you know, who who was caught in BALCO or any of the other scandals revolving PEDs. We're not going to forget, you know, like Ryan Braun lying to a, lying to everybody on national television, uh, or we're not going to forget like you know congressional testimony from Mark McGuire or any of those guys. We're not going to forget. That's part of the era they played in. Um, and that's, you know, like even when in voting for someone like Manny Ramirez or if I voted for Alex Rodriguez, you know, like, again, if they were suspended after baseball really came up with a, a way of policing the game after 2000 from 2006 forward, you know, ultimately, you um, They're being suspended. They're losing playing time. They're not being allowed on the field. That hits their numbers. That hits their earning power. Um, So, you know, like, why am I supposed to then assess extra penalties for, again, players that I think were, you know, some of the most significant, important players of the era? Um, Whether you talk about David Ortiz, like, getting caught before or Manny Ramirez after – you want to put those guys in the hall of fame they belong they're really i mean again they were the defining and tremendous players The era um i think getting getting hung up on whether or not they were on one side of the line or the other ultimately these were about guys who were just trying to be excellent trying to you know be their best possible you know selves and whether or not you know, again, results do vary. Not everybody got a big benefit from using PEDs that we can see. When you look, go through the names of the Mitchell Report, you see a lot of pitchers and you see a lot of <laughs> hitters like Adam Pyatt, you know, like guys who did not amount to anything in the major league. So, again, getting hung up on this from my perspective is more about sports writers almost avenging their own careers the fact that they didn't make it a big deal in the 90s they didn't make it a big deal until basically the owners started feeding them names and they didn't report it at the time you know at nearly the same volume that now suddenly people are upset about and from my perspective it's like no you don't have to you don't have to do this you you can acknowledge yeah they use stories now sure baseball did choose and Sports writers enabled, um, you know, this kind of more confrontational approach to the subject of PEDs. Uh, the owners used performance-enhancing drugs as a brick bat bat to go after the players and run them down. You know, like when it was getting into, you know, the collective bargaining agreements of the early '80s. Uh, you know, baseball was still recovering from the ugliness of, you know, Bud Selig shutting down the world, like. Canceling the World Series in 1994, uh, the owners bringing in uh, scabs in 1995. You know, you can't talk about steroids and the way in which the conversation about steroids is changed as a result of owners using federal invest and, you know, using investigations to attack the players and undermine their position. And if you're not remembering that and you're not you know, allowing for the fact that, yeah, those guys who want to get those guys in the union, you know, if if you're not going to allow for the fact that that's a big part of their motivation, then you're not really getting into the full history of the game. Now, again, somebody in their wisdom, one of the committees thought it made sense to put Bowie Kuhn in the Hall of Fame. Somebody, for whatever reason, thought it made sense to put Bud Selling in the Hall of Fame, uh, even though he collapsed. I mean, again, this is a Guy who is an owner was one of the people involved with collusion, trying to undermine the competitive balance of the game in the '80s, and canceled the World Series. And you know, like, is you know, like, uh, it's it's just stupefying to me that like again, people have this concern over steroids, and it's like this guy nearly like multiple times tried to destroy and you know damage the game, and we're upset about. A guy, you know, like using steroids and maybe getting a benefit and maybe not, give me a break. I, again, like, you know, it's about Cooperstown. It's about like hallowing the game. We should be in the business in the, in the Hall of Fame and celebrating the game and its players. Um, if it, we wind up in a situation where instead we're honoring, you know, we're, we're, this is an institution that honors blood selling and keeps players out. I just see that as fundamentally problematic.
1: Christina Carl here on Sports Talk Chicago. Christina, when you look at the ballot, how many players do you consider to be a Hall of Famer? You've said in the past there have been at times 14, 16 people on a ballot who you consider Hall of Fame. When you look at this ballot now, what's that
0: number? That number is at 15 for me, which makes it really tough to get down to 10, obviously. I mean, I I, I hated getting down to 12. And, um, and, even, and so coming back down to 10, you know, really was really very difficult last year I made a point of making room for you know some pretty what I still think of as some pretty significant pitchers that you know like might be edge cases for most folks but when you look at like what Mark Burley or Tim Hudson and and, you know Andy Pettit's better than either of them but I mean all three of those guys are borderline for most voters but I look at it as um, you're talking about tremendous pitchers you're talking about like you know During the course of the history of the game, we're we're going to run up against a real problem with starting pitchers going forward, where representation of who are the top starters in in their generation, that's going to be, you know, like after you get past, like, you know, right now, Scherzer and Verlander, who else is there? Who's going to have enough counting stats, enough numbers? Who's going to last long enough to have a 3,000 inning pitch career? Not very many guys. And there aren't that many guys who can do that right now, anyway. The first place on the ballot, so that's where I'm left with. Tim Hudson was a tremendous, you know, the best pitcher of the Money Ball A's, uh, the most durable key component for like you know competitive Braves teams, and also chipped in with the Bra- Giants at the end of his career. Uh, Twenty game, I mean, he, he had a, he had an excellent career, Andy Pettit had a better career still. Mark Burley had was you know again tremendous athlete tremendous fielder but also you know spun a perfect game and was remarkable and again a guy condemned to contribute to so many teams that weren't very good but ended up having a superb career you know it's kind of almost the latter-day rick russell for this generation in terms of like a guy who should be in the hall of fame but it wasn't his fault that he happened to work for a team that wasn't reliably competitive um but because he doesn't have that you know. Pizzazz of being associated with a great team. Uh, a lot of voters are just sort of like, "Ah, eh, Mark Burley. And it's like, no, if you got to watch Mark Burley, Mark Burley was awesome. But, uh, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. So that's where I look at, you know, like the fact that you have that group of pitchers who don't even crack most people's ballots, but they're crowding, you know, the back end of my ballot like they did last year. And where do I wind up with them? And, you know, like ultimately, you know, if we wind up in a situation where, At a time when the game has 30 teams as opposed to 16 uh, and is inducting fewer pitchers today than and particularly fewer starting pitchers today than, you know, like some of the mediocrities from the 20s and 30s who got like thrown into the Hall of Fame, you know, in the 50s and 60s. Um, just because they are in a hurry to make sure that they put everybody associated with the 27 Yankees outside of the catchers, you know, into the hall. I mean, some of this is just sort of, from my perspective, um, not just about fairness, but it's about, like, look, ultimately, if it's on the writers making people famous when you talk about fame, well, you know, you should be making people like Mark Bur- you should be in the business of making players like Mark Burley famous, because Mark Burley was incredible to watch play. And so, and if you can't do that, and you then say like, well, and he wasn't famous, well, you know, that's about media, that's about narrative, that's about like, you know, getting the story right. And if not enough people are paying attention to great players play, again, I'm not going to punish the players and as a voter, because not enough people were trumpeting, this guy is really something, um, but that's my attitude towards it, where it's like, you know, the Hall should be in the business of hallowing, remembering and treasuring great performance.
1: Is there anyone on your ballot last year who may drop off this year or vice versa? Is there anybody you didn't have last year you might be thinking about adding this year?
0: Oh, it's so tough. I mean, you know, like I've had Andrew Jones and Billy Wagner off and on my ballot and I would love to I would love to have room for them. In the same way that I would love to have room for Jeff Kent, and in the same way that I would love to have all room for all three of the pitchers I just talked about. Um, But you can't, because, I I mean, again, every year, there's also the difficulty of, um, you know, new people being added. David Ortiz was an incredible player. I don't care that, like, you know, again, one test result... defining player for so many of the great Red Sox teams that like, you know, not just broke the curse, but kind of, again, built something of a, of a odd, you know, peripatetic dynasty, you know, during the oddies and early, early uh, teens that, you know, just a tremendous ball club, a performer that everybody recognized, respected, enjoyed, embraced. The notion that DHS are not a position it's been 40 years and almost 50 years now (laughs) it's ridiculous get over it ultimately you know if we've got Harold Baines and and Edgar Martinez and other players who played a significant portion of their career at DH in the Hall of Fame I mean Ted Simmons for God's sake I mean which is great because it was Simba just obviously belonged in much sooner as Blank in one of the great catchers of the 70s but um you know like these are people who owe a significant portion of their career to the existence of the DH or their career to the DH, just get over it. David Ortiz, how can you not talk about David Ortiz if you want to talk about baseball during the course of his career? Um, So, you know, that's where you got to make room for David Ortiz. Uh, What do you do with A-Rod? A-Rod's a a new one as well. And so, like, you know, there are people who are like, well, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer because he did get caught. And, uh, but again, I'm I'm beyond the people who, you know, the people who still play that game as far as like, well, I don't want to contribute to a first ballot because that seems like I'm endorsing, but ultimately, yes, he's the Hall of Famer. It's like, okay, whatever, you know, calculus you end up going through to basically justify it to yourself that you're not going to vote for him now, but you're going to vote for him later. Okay, whatever. Again, I'm like, if you gave me the space to vote for every Hall of Famer, I would, um, but again, that's where, you know, like we, we, you know, because then that would be a different mission. If your mission is to, if they, if you expanded the ballot and said like, okay, name everybody you see out there who's a the Hall of Famer, then as a voter, as, uh, from my perspective, whether you keep the character clause or not, I would be obligated to name like, you know, all 15 or 17 people that I think, you know, might merit Hall of Fame inclusion. Uh, but that said, I believe in the big hall. I be, believe the game is twice as big as it was, you know, almost twice as big as it was, you know, when they created the Hall of Fame. And, you know, the standards having been set by previous presidents uh, on top of, like, you know, consideration for, you know, what truly is fame. I mean, again, I, I believe in a big hall. I believe that, you know, we can't forget about, you know, great players in the 80s and 90s and and into the present. Um You know, I'm somebody who believes, you know, we should be talking about Earl Hersheiser. I'm somebody, you know, I think we should be talking about Fernando Valenzuela. Um, That, you know, like, again, great players who truly were famous. You got to put him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Fernando's so famous, it's almost kind of ridiculous. It's like he brings too much fame to the Hall of Fame. Fernando Mania was amazing, not just for Mexican-Americans, but just for what it was as a cultural moment in baseball history but sports history and so the fact that like you know we haven't even had a conversation about fernando now for years it's it's kind of ridiculous because it's like fernando's big he's a huge deal why are we not talking about it oral hersheiser the only reason the dodgers win a world series in 1988 with most you know improbable roster isn't because of kurt gibson hitting a home run of dennis eckersley although that was direct it's because oral hersheiser Through the scoreless inning streak and was amazing, was the most on-pitcher in the history of on-pitchers. You know, like 10 years from now, if we're arguing about Madison Bumgarner, how do the Giants win in 24? How do they win without Madison Bumgarner? They don't. They don't. I mean, again, that's that's like, you know, some of these guys, if you're going to talk about putting the capital F in fame, they're guys who are not there yet, and they should be, because ultimately it's not just about the counting stats. It's ultimately about Who defined or redefined baseball? And there are just tremendous players we should be talking about, and we're not. And that's unfortunate.
1: At this point, do you see anybody getting in this year?
0: Uh, I actually, I do think that uh, Poppy is going to probably get in in his first year. I'm not going to be surprised. I mean, it's going to be close, maybe. I mean, like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's original His first ballot is like, you know, he's in the high 60s or something. And people say, okay, it's gonna happen. But yeah, if I had to pick any one person who's definitely going in this year, I would say it's David Ortiz. Um, If I thought that, you know, there would be enough people who would finally come around on Barry Bonds. I'd like to see that, but I just, I don't know if we can count on that happening at this stage. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if like we've gotten to that point. In time where enough people there's enough distance from it that enough people feel comfortable or if they still want to just continue to sound off about like how they feel about steroids and you know how they've essentially collaborated with owners i i just again i feel immense frustration about that but you know what you're going to do people are going to vote the way they're going to vote um i don't think shilling makes it I think it's, uh, I think his asking people not to vote for him gave plenty of people all the excuse they needed to say, yeah, well, then I'm not gonna, okay, Um, and go to the era committees, and then the era committees will have a very interesting problem on their hand, as far as whether or not they decide to uh, grab that particular tiger by a tail, not that he ever pitched for the tigers, but um, it's going to be interesting, whether or not they embrace that, because it's going to be a controversial moment, if if you put Kurt Schilling behind a podium, and what's he going to say? But, you know, it's, as an institution, I totally, res- I, I you know, although I have not voted for, for Chilling, I do respect everyone who makes a choice to vote for him. That's their call, their ballot, and uh, I'm not going to disagree with that. I think the case is strong, but in the same way that I see, you know, a Hall of Famer when I look at Andy Pettit or Tim Hudson, if I had, you know, an open ballot for no end of spaces, then I wouldn't have the opportunity to say, like, well, I need to also make room for these guys because I'm limited to 10. Uh, I get to make those choices. But uh, every voter does. And that's why I don't really have an issue with people who make active choices to vote for someone uh, as opposed to people who are, you know, I, I, I just I don't have a problem with people who basically end up supporting. I understand the reasons why. I don't necessarily understand the reasons why behind Omar Vizquel. But, um, you know, like where, yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, setting aside, like all of the horrible stuff we found out about him in the last year, um, you know, I don't understand how anybody looks at Omar Vizquel and Jimmy Rollins and picks Omar Vizquel because Jimmy Rollins was the best shortstop in baseball from 2001 to like 2000, basically his run of his, with the Phillies, he's, he's, if you look at, if you total up war alone, I mean, and war is, an imperfect stat but a good sorting tool and kind of aggregation of value to give you at least the general idea of how good a guy was um relative to his peers um and then you can start parsing and getting really more into the weeds but jimmy rollins is number one in war among major league baseball shortstops from 2001 to 2014 he's he's one of the two players basically that give you that great Phillies team that like won, you know, five street NL Easts and, you know, won a couple of pennants and won the world series in 09. If Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley aren't on that team, they don't win those. They don't, they don't do, don't do any of that. And Jimmy Rollins durability, his defense, his speed and his power, all of that combined. And he was just flat out fun to watch play. So it's like you add all of that up and it's like, why are we not talking about Jimmy Rollins, Omar Vizcal, how many, Amazing memories of Omar Vizquel do, do I have compared to Jimmy Rollins. It's not even close. I mean, like Omar Vizquel aggregated a large number of counting stats. And that's, you know, like, a, again, respect to his ability to make contact, his defensive value, all of that. He's I'm not saying he's not a valuable player. But, again, I look at, you know, Jimmy Rollins won an MVP for a reason. Uh, because he was that important and that, you know, dynamic a player. Uh, Omar Vizquel was really good for a long time and so you know that's where you get into why would I pick one over the other well Jimmy Rollins made a huge difference Omar Vizquel contributed to a number of good teams but Jimmy Rollins is a reason you win by himself and that you know for me when you look at everything that he did it's just kind of I, I hope he doesn't fall I mean that's if there's one guy to to anticipate a question, if you ask it, guys who will fall below five percent and shouldn't uh, on their first on this year, uh, I'm worried about Jimmy Rollins perhaps more than anybody, just because I think uh, it's a crowded ballot and the number of people who are gonna say, like, well, you know, he didn't do this, or you know, he didn't have these counting stats. And it's like, no, when you look at the body of work, Jimmy Rollins was the best shortstop at zero. And you know, like better than Miguel Tejada better you know like during the years that he was an everyday player than Derek Jeter so why aren't we talking more about Jimmy Rollins and it's like well you know like the Phillies dynasty wasn't as big as the Yankees dynasty or as long or win as many titles and it's like yeah well it's a competitive dynamic you know like there was a lot of competitive balance in the oddies and and early early teens and you know like you had a lot of teams in and with potential to win and the Phillies were one of them and again, that, where it's where I come back to Jimmy Rollins is a big part of that reason. And you gotta, you gotta respect that, but that's me. I hope he doesn't drop off. I hope he doesn't wind up like Lou Whitaker and just fall off one and done or Kenny Lofton or Jim Edmonds. And it's like, you know, all great players who I would put in the hall of fame. Cause like I said, big hall believer, but um, it's just ridiculous that again, some of the most important, particularly up the middle players of their era, are basically getting overlooked
1: what to come with christina kyle in just a moment stay tuned this is sports talk chicago christina kyle still here on sports talk chicago christina two more questions before we finish up. first off your reaction to minnie minoso getting in
0: was one relief joy i i just it it was it's so overdue and i know i this for me i mean like again um you know i had the privilege of being the last person to interview many before while he was alive and um i know the family and being able to talk to charlie minoso uh his youngest son that day uh, that we finally got the both the day that his father passed But then, like you know, just a couple of weeks ago, the with the news that his father finally made it in, I know Minnie was um, in that last interview very uh, upfront about how much he wanted to go in while he was alive. That he he was and he was exasperated that he had been made to wait as long as he already had. Um, It's again one of those ludicrous oversights that you know, like one of the three best players in the American League from the so-called Golden Era from the fifties that he was not already in uh, the guy that, you know, like obviously somebody has to be third best behind like mantle and Ted Williams in the American league in the fifties, but that was Minnie Minoso who was also the Jackie Robinson of Latin America, who was also, you know, just, and, and again, those white Sox and Indians teams that he played on so often finished second to the Yankees. Well, okay, fine. But you know what? again they made a good they they made the yankees play for it so and a big part of the reason why was minoso so the fact that he's finally in finally gotten the respect he he long deserved the idea that he also gets to go in with tony oliva is is a big deal from my perspective he was outspoken about how latin american players had been shorted by the Hall of Fame's process, that Tony was one of those players. Louis Tion, it would have been wonderful if he had gotten in as well this time around. I mean, El Tiante is still with us. He could still get in. I still hope he gets in. It's certainly overdue for him as well. But I know he would have been happy knowing that he got in the same year as Tony. I just wish it had been five years ago.
1: Before we finish up today, last question. Why does Keith Olbermann always hate your Hall of Fame ballots?
0: Oh, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, he was what he—he he was the person. He was speculating that I would drop Derek Jeter from my. I'd like that I would be the person who didn't vote for Derek Jeter or Mariano Rivera on their. And I'm like, no, I, I again, I. That's where you know, like again, I've, I've, for whatever reason the people who want to still avenge their childhoods, uh, whether it's like you know the people, the boomers who are you know, like still treasuring the players of the fifties and sixties and don't really care about like the eighties and nineties. I don't know. I, I just, I find it a little silly. I find it a little sad the way some people get angry and, and bend out of shape about this. But ultimately, I I guess I look at the hall of fame and the vote process of voting for the hall of fame. It's fun. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be about recalling and celebrating, you know, players who were I, again, have given us so much joy on the field. And why can't we remember that when we look at what they've been able to do? Um, I, I just, um, Ann Killian wrote a great column today in the column or, or up for the San Francisco Chronicle uh, getting into why she didn't vote this year. And a big part about it is the the level of anger, envy, spite vindictiveness call it what you will but that the the amount of vitriol around this conversation uh and that's where you know it's an unfortunate sign of the times Keith Olverman contributes to that by (laughs) doing what he does and how he chooses to talk about this but um but you know that's where I would respect Keith you know like I respect Keith's opinions on the subject of baseball but I don't uh, make a personal, I guess, is really what it boils down to where I think, you know, again, I think that baseball should, as a matter of fact, just embrace that the game is bigger and needs to celebrate everybody. Uh, And he looks at the Hall of Fame, perhaps, and sees it as, uh, I I shouldn't even characterize Keith's comments, but just where I, I find them interesting but uh, yeah, I don't I don't understand why he's convinced I've got it out for the Yankees. I don't understand why he thinks I wasn't going to vote for Derek Jeter or Mariano Rivera. Um, but, hey, again, that's where I, I I respect great Yankee. I mean, I'm voting for Andy Pettit and and. I clearly don't have it out for the Yankees. I think Jorge Fasada and Bernie Williams are people we should be talking about. Or, you know, like, again, guys who are short, maybe did not get as much consideration within the process as they said. So I don't have a, an, a bias against, you know, the East Coast because I'm here on the best coast. But, uh, you know, that I don't want to say I'm biased, but, you know, that's where I, I guess, you know, Keith, Keith is looking for reasons to get angry and <laughs> uh, he does not run out of them.
1: Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, best wishes at the San Francisco Chronicle, and hopefully there isn't too much hatred around your ballot when it comes out next week. Thank you so much. Oh,
0: we'll see. Thank you, John. Definitely a pleasure.
1: I talked there with Christina Carl. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Christina Carl herself, Matt Dubiel, WCKG, Jim Tobin Tomorrow Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John if you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes to you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! we are the turtles!